So what's the hurry? What's so urgent in this gospel according to Mark? And what's actually in the text or not in the text that makes Bible scholars say that Mark is action-oriented and has a sense of urgency about it? Well, actually, there are plenty of clues. When you hold up Mark and compare it to the other three Gospels of Matthew, Luke, and John, you notice several things. It's the shortest Gospel. It's the earliest Gospel. It's the Gospel that contains far fewer words of Jesus. It has the fewest parables. It has no long teaching sections. Not as much focus on what Jesus says or what he and others think, but the focus is on what Jesus does. And actually, some of the stories of what Jesus does are longer in Mark than in the other Gospels because Mark tends to add more vivid detail. Mark does not include a birth narrative. We start right in on Jesus' ministry activity. You know, if we only had Mark, we'd have no Christmas no Christmas stories. As we move from uh, one vivid story to another, we often find a Greek adverb, eutheos, usually translated immediately or at once or directly. Just to compare, this shortest gospel uses that word 42 times. Luke almost twice as long, uses it seven times. That can't be a coincidence. The word appears 13 times in just the first two chapters. In today's reading, we heard that the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately he called them. Immediately the paralytic took his mat and walked out. Now, full disclosure, I'm barely going to touch on the two long readings from Mark that we heard this morning, that we just heard about Jesus' baptism, his temptation, calling of disciples, and a healing story. I hope you were listening well when Silas and Wendell read them so well. If not, read them again sometime at home this week. We'll probably circle back to them a few times during our 13-week journey through Mark, but this morning, my goal is to lay some groundwork for that journey that we're taking together. This is our fourth yearly cycle of the narrative lectionary, and each year gives us a chance to spend lots of time in one gospel. We started with Luke in 2021, then John in 2022, last year it was Matthew. This year we complete our four gospel cycle. Now, if your memory is sharp, you might recall that each gospel has its own character, its own origin story, its own agenda. And that informs how we read that gospel. What a gift to have four different complete tellings of the story of Jesus. Lots of common material between them, but each one gives us a different and unique portrait of Jesus and a different slant on how we follow Jesus. And I think that's beautiful. 
You may recall last year when we launched in Matthew, uh, I said that the probable origin of the gospel was a traumatized community of Jesus followers in the city of Antioch soon after 70 AD when Rome defeated Jerusalem, left the city in ruins, the temple destroyed, and over a million Jews dead in the city. Now you can't not take that context into consideration when you read Matthew and see all the ways that the storyteller tries to to build up a beaten down people. So what's the backstory of Mark? Well, we can't be certain. Historically, there's been a widely held opinion that this gospel is based largely on the preaching of the Apostle Peter. And perhaps it could have been written down, at least in part, by John Mark, the disciple who accompanied Paul for a bit, but then left and became kind of a a secretary to or interpreter of the Apostle Peter. And there's the thought that this writing may have emerged um, when both Peter and John Mark were in Rome around 65 AD and following, during a time when Rome was actively at war against Judea and the Jewish people in general. There are multiple clues in the text that support these ideas including this focus on the actions of Jesus more than his words and his theology. As a disciple, Peter was not really a philosopher-theologian. He was an action-oriented, impulsive, get-her-done disciple. So Mark easily sounds like it could be Peter preaching. And If the community where this gospel emerged was Rome and the audience was largely Gentile, not Jewish, that would account for how often Jewish customs are explained to the reader in Mark and the frequent use of words or phrases of Latin origin. But regardless of who wrote down this gospel and from where, it's pretty clear that the audience is Gentile and the intent is to convince the hearers that Jesus, not Caesar, was the authentic Messiah, the Christ, and that he came bringing good news for everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. So if we say that Mark is summarizing Peter's preaching in and around Rome, then the the urgency of this gospel begins to make some sense. Rome, this overpowering and highly militarized empire, was at war with the woefully weak and pathetically underpowered forces of Judea. This gospel is not written from a place of strength or comfort or optimism or respectability. It is written from the underside of society. And it's written from the perspective of the oppressed and occupied people. And it's written to citizens of the Roman Empire, whose Caesar, 
whose emperor claims to be the divine savior. And in fact, used the title son of God to refer to himself. The urgent message of the gospel of Mark butts up against the empire head on as an act of resistance. No hesitation, no indecisiveness immediately. Eutheos. So here's my paraphrase of the urgent gospel message in the book of Mark. Join us. Join this fringe movement now. It's the real deal. It's worth you taking the risk, making the leap, and becoming a Jesus follower. Now. Do not waver. Do not hesitate. Do not delay. The life you were intended to live can be found in the community of those who follow Jesus. It's more real than the empire. It's more life-giving than chasing wealth and power and prestige like Rome teaches you to do. Furthermore, the Caesar is an imposter. He's a fake. Jesus is a savior, not Nero. Jesus is the son of God. No earthly ruler can compete. And Mark puts that confrontational message in chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, I used to think that was just a generic greeting to open the book. Like, dear friends, here's what I'm about to talk about and write about. No, those are confrontational words, political words. They are taken right out of the mouth of the Roman Empire and turned around against it. Rome used the phrase good news or evangelion in Greek when sending word of military victories around the empire. Rome praised its Caesar as their anointed savior. Caesar accepted the honorific title of son of God. So everyone hearing this gospel of Mark for the first time in Rome would have been jarred by that opening line, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Them's fighting words. So do you think there are any points of connection between that context for Mark and today's violent and materialistic and politically fraught world where we, Jesus followers, live? Let me reread my paraphrase of Mark's urgent message and change just a couple of words and see what you think. Join us. Join this fringe movement. Now, it's the real deal. It's worth you taking the risk, making the leap, and becoming a Jesus follower. Now, do not waver, do not delay. The life you were intended to live can be found in the community of those who follow Jesus. It's more real than the American dream. 
It's more life-giving than chasing wealth and power and prestige like our Western culture teaches you to do. Furthermore, the power elite in D.C. are imposters. Wall Street and Madison Avenue are selling us cheap fakes. Jesus is the Savior, not your political party. Jesus is born of God. No president or prime minister can compete. Well, I look forward to continuing this journey through Mark with you, our family of faith at Parkview, and everyone who might be listening in from the edges, as we discover again the relevance urgency and the beauty of a gospel message of radical following of Jesus and not the empire in our world today. I think there's no better way to mark the beginning of that journey and the beginning of a new year together than to come to the Lord's table and remember together where Jesus' journey led him and the gift that his sacrificial life and death and resurrection is for us all.